Well, welcome to another Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Martian. So glad that you have tuned in today. I know why you tuned in. I mean, it's okay. I mean, I get it. Not everybody does tune in on Everyone Wednesday just to hear the show. There are people who tune in on Everyone Wednesday to win something. And I have to admit, when I see the call sheets, it's always encouraging to me to see the number of people who call in and they're super excited because they won something and you never had a chance to win anything before. Well, never let it be said that the Bottom Line Show does not give you an opportunity to win stuff. Um, and I'm grateful that we do. I really honestly am grateful that we do. And today we're going to get into yet another one, um, another great giveaway. First, before we get any further, though, I do want to thank Sam in Ramona, who called in a $28 donation to Preborn. Um, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229 is the number to get you through. Or just go online to kbrightradio.com and click on the preborn banner. I've also got it linked at my personal website, rogermarsh.com, and that's R-O-G-E-R-M-A-R-S-H. When you make that donation, when you click, what you're doing is saying, I, uh, the, in the case of um, Sam's gift, uh, $28 means that uh, another ultrasound appointment will be held at a preborn clinic in or near Ramona, and they will have the opportunity then to uh, the person who goes in, the mom and maybe dad or maybe boyfriend or whoever the father of the child is that goes with them, they'll get a chance to see those ultrasound images. And once they see the images, uh, 83% of the time, the number of women who see that ultrasound wind up um, choosing life for their baby. Now, I want to point something out, and this is Scott Wilder and I talked about this earlier this week. When we first started working with preborn about 14 months ago, we had um, we, we had a success rate of 85%. And since we have started that relationship, that number's actually dropped to 83. Here's what that means. That means that women are coming to preborn and they're not being brainwashed. They're not being told that you have to sign a paper that says you will either have that child and raise that child or that you will release that child for adoption. In other words, what happens is the, the ultrasound is performed, the pictures are shared with the parents, and then the parents are informed of what decisions are options for them. And then they make their own decision. And yes, there have been more instances this year than last year where women are in fact choosing to end their pregnancies. And that's not the option that I want ever. I mean, especially as Lisa and I are preparing to welcome grandchild number five in March and number six in April. And quite frankly, grandchild number five, it seems like he's in a big hurry to get here. I was talking to Emily earlier this week and she said that she has to go back in for another ultrasound next week. She's in Texas. And um, to see if that, if maybe they had the wrong due date because the kid's already almost five pounds and she's only 33 weeks. But again, ultrasound technology is that sophisticated. And it does give us so much good information, which begs the question, why does the left want to keep ultrasound technology from women? They will try to scare women, say, well, if you can't get an, if you can't get an abortion, then democracy is at risk. But is it? I mean, seriously, we're just saying, tell the truth. We, we talk about analysis, balance and clarity and uh, discernment, edification and fruitfulness here on the Bottom Line Show all the time. The name of the game is, look, if a woman tests pregnant, positive for pregnancy, she then can have an ultrasound and take a look at that kid. There's 3D ultrasound technology. There's 4D ultrasound technology. Kaylee was showing us the uh, 3Ds of her uh, little girl, uh, who they're calling Natalie. Super excited about that. So we'll be square, I think. Let's see. We'll have one, two, 
yeah, we'll have three boys and three girls on the grandkids side. That's pretty cool. Six kids, six grandkids. Well, we just, we're blessed. We're so blessed. And I, and I hope that the gushing, you know, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't put you in a spot where you feel a certain kind of way about it, you know. Dennis Wilson, you know, 18 grandchildren and several great-grandchildren. Um, other people I know, you know, grandchildren haven't been in the future for them yet, not in the picture. But the idea here is with preborn, we want to give women and families the most and best information they can get so then they can make the best decision. And again, obviously there is forgiveness. I believe abortion is a sin. I believe it's murder. I believe that you can also ask God for forgiveness. But at a preborn clinic, a woman who chooses abortion is doing so knowing what the options are. Whereas at an abortion clinic, they just are lying and deceiving. That's a decision you're going to have to make and, and have an answer for God for. And, and statistically, that's going to be a tough conversation, not only for, um, not only for, uh, uh, you know, for you and for the child, but also you know, for your salvation. Now, the good news about preborn, and this is what I love about them, there are great pro-life organizations that we have worked with in the past. None of, the, of them has been as committed to not only the sanctity of human life physically, but also the sanctity of human life spiritually as preborn. The number of women who go to a preborn clinic, and there is a presentation where they explain life and what they believe in terms of, you know, basically a gospel presentation. Thousands of women every year go to preborn and not only choose life for their baby, but they choose life for their own souls and they give their hearts to the Lord. All for a $28 donation. So, Sam, Thank you for calling in from Ramona with that donation. $28 means one more baby statistically will be saved. And there's the potential that if mom didn't know the Lord before she went to preborn, she will know the Lord having been to preborn. Thank you. Where are the heavy hitters? This month so far has been relatively quiet. I mean, I, I want to be completely transparent with you. We're here at the end of January. Today is January 31st. We've had five calls this month to preborn. Now, one of the reasons why we get so excited about preborn, of course, is that bottom line show listeners step up. But this month, the phones have been really, really quiet. And so I want to urge you, I want to implore you to make that call to 833-850-BABY. If you don't want to have to talk to another human being, that's fine. Maybe you're a little shy. Maybe you're a little introverted. It's easier just to go online. Go to kbrightradio.com. Click on the preborn banner. Once there, they will prompt you and they'll ask you, would you like to make a $28 donation, completely tax deductible, and every dollar goes to the ultrasound technology. But this is the first of, you heard Scott Wilder here, uh, share this earlier this week, and if you want to go back to thebottomlineshow.com to Monday's program, you can hear my conversation with Scott where he talks about the fact that all of the money that is donated to preborn goes to, as Scott likes to say, what's raised here stays here. So uh, Sam's gift of $28 in Ramona, the preborn clinic closest to the Ramona area, is going to get that donation. If you were to give a $15,000 donation, which would provide an ultrasound machine, if you live in Huntington Beach and you want it to go in Huntington Beach, that's where it's going. And because of the way they fundraise, they have different fundraisers for different aspects of the ministry. I think this is the coolest part. Every nonprofit, when you give to one of the ministries that you hear here on the Bottom Line Show affiliates, you make a donation to that ministry, and that money's going to be spent the best way the ministry knows how to spend it, minus overhead. With Preborn, when you go to kbrightradio.com and click on the Preborn banner and make that $28 donation or a $280 donation or a $500 donation, every penny goes to ultrasounds. They have a whole separate category of fundraising for 
for administration stuff and keeping the lights on and that type of thing. So please know if you want to give to a cause and that cause specifically is the saving of human babies through ultrasound technology at preborn. Every penny that Sam gave, that $28, all $28 goes to ultrasounds. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-BABY, which is 2229 on your keypad. Or just go to kbrightradio.com and follow the prompts. Speaking of San Diego, uh, thoughts and prayers for those impacted by the the, the threat that happened uh, last Friday at Rancho Bernardo High School. Father and teenage child have been arrested after reports of a school shooting threat there. And uh, when police investigated it, um, they discovered assault weapons and several untraceable guns in the family's home. That's the quote, according to CNN. The student and his 45-year-old father were both arrested. Uh, dad was arrested and faces criminal charges for possession of illegal firearms, manufacturing assault weapons, and a possession of a destructive device. Uh, they're not naming the father because of the fact that uh, the child is a minor. Dad was booked into the San Diego County Jail early Tuesday. Uh, his arraignment is supposed to happen tomorrow. Um, Once they learned of the threat, they uh, got a search warrant for the teenager's home to determine whether or not the teen had access to weapons. And, you know, that case that's going on is in Michigan right now where there were parents who uh, were are are deemed culpable for the fact that their son brought a couple of weapons to school and opened fire and killed four students. And uh, because mom and dad bought the gun for the kid for Christmas, mom and dad are now standing trial for involuntary manslaughter. So it's a crazy world that we're living in. And I think before we get into the nuts and bolts of the program today, let's, let's come before the throne and, uh, and lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, we are grateful for your goodness to us, your mercy to us. We know that our sins are many and they deserve your full and complete wrath. We understand that. We acknowledge that. But we also know that w- the best part of the good news is that you love the world so much the world that you created, the people that you created to inhabit, created in your image. You loved us so much that you did not want our sin to separate us from you. And knowing that we can't bridge that gap on our own, but you could, you sent Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to pay the penalty for our sin. And for those of us who believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, conquered death and hell, and bore the sin of all mankind for all eternity on the cross, We know that by believing that his blood not only pays our debt, but also wipes our slate clean, that we will receive the newness of life as we turn away from our sinful lifestyle. We repent when we do sin, and we're so grateful for that. So as we see a world where fathers and sons are potentially threatening to do bodily harm to people with weapons because of uh, real or imagined fears and concerns, we lift them up for salvation. We lift everyone Uh, who is in need of hearing the good news of the gospel, that they would hear that gospel message and that their hearts would be prompted to respond to it. We ask all these things in the precious and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. I know a lot more people post-pandemic are experiencing record amounts of loneliness, but is it possible that they're not necessarily so much lonely, but just introverted and shy? I say this, I know it sounds crazy, but I am an introvert. I mean, I like to talk and we like to have conversations here. But remember, I'm in a booth. I mean, it's me here and Joel on the other side of the glass and Tamara's producing and Crystal's answering the phones. There's not a big team here. So I completely relate to introverts. But I've had to learn how to navigate 
what it means to be an introvert in the workspace. And uh, coming up next, Dr. Mike Bechtel is going to join us. Uh, Mike has written a number of books on very, very helpful and practical topics. His latest is called The Introvert's Guide to Success in the Workplace, Becoming Confident in a Culture of Extroverted Expectations. And this pertains to the workplace, the church place, family place, whatever. Now, it is Everyone Wednesday, so we have multiple copies of Mike's. I believe we have three copies of Mike's book we're giving away today at 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Dr. Mike Bechtel joins me next as the bottom line continues. For more than 50 years, Dennis Wilson has been offering better alternatives to what the market offers when it comes to investments like certificates of deposit and real estate investment trusts. Dennis's 3D account pays even better than market interest rate. Here's Dennis to explain. So what is a 3D account and how does it work? A 3D account is a real estate-backed investment without Wall Street risk. It pays an amazing interest of 7% for the next three years. At the end of three years, you can take your money out. So you can see it's definitely not a REIT. Or you can reinvest it at 7% in a new program. Go ahead and call today and ask about the 7% account. And then while you're on the phone and ask about our accounts that pays even higher amounts for funds over 250000 Learn more about Dennis Wilson's 3D Money account, the better alternative to the Real Estate Investment Trust. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial, simply better alternatives. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a conversation about a book that I just love the title and had to know more about it. The book is called The Introvert's Guide to Success in the Workplace, Becoming Confident in a Culture of Extroverted Expectations. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. This book is the work of Dr. Mike Bechtel, who is the author of several books, including People Can't Drive You Crazy If You Don't Give Them the Keys. I mean, you've got a title like that. You know you want to get into the things that he's written. His articles have appeared in several publications like Writer's Digest. He's written for focus on the family and entrepreneur. And we're going to get into this new book right now, but it's, I think it's ironic. Mike Bechtel, Dr. Mike Bechtel, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. And here we are talking to each other on Zoom because we're introverts and we really wouldn't want to talk to each other face to face, would we? Of course not. This is perfect. <laughs> I'm teasing. We would be, we're getting along great here. Mike, talk about the, the the whole introvert versus extroverted. I think that that's helpful for people to understand because sometimes when the introvert comes into the workplace, we don't realize that most of the cultural expectations on the job are for extroverts. Exactly. And I think that's the perception that's probably not even true because there's as, almost as many, in fact, there probably is as many introverts as there are extroverts. But mm. we hear from the extroverts, so we feel like we're in an extroverted world, an extroverted society, especially in the workplace. Yeah. And they assume that you want to have an environment where you can collaborate and have not have your own office. You want to be out in the open and have lots of team activities and team meetings and everything. But introverts are the ones that they're not necessarily shy. In fact, most of the time they're not. It's a different issue because I'm not shy, but I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. And it, a lot of it has to do with energy that when I'm in a group setting, um, I love it. And I can function really well in that setting in the workplace or anywhere, but um, it drains my energy over time. Yes. Whereas extroverts, they get their energy from those settings and they get more and more pumped up. Mm -hmm. My my son-in-law is a, is a wild extrovert. And he just, if he spends a whole day in meetings, he'll come home at night and then call people to see if they want to go out for coffee because he just hasn't had enough. Yes. But it's some, somebody said it's like introverts are like uh, rechargeable batteries. Mm. They, they work really well, but they need to be 
put it plugged in in the dark for a while so they can come mm -hmm. out and do it again. Mm -hmm. Extroverts are like that. solar panels. You know, they, they <laughs> get their energy from being out there where everything's going on, and then they're able to function with that. But oh. both of us need recharging. Both of us use our energy. I love this. And Dr. Mike Bechtel just gave us two really great pull quotes. In case you didn't get those, go back to thebottomlineshow.com. Introverts are like rechargeable batteries, and extroverts are like solar panels. If you have kids or grandkids in your world, this is something that will help you understand them a lot better. We're talking about his new book called The Introvert's Guide to Success in the Workplace, Becoming Confident in a Culture of Extroverted Expectations. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You have identified what you call it. I don't necessarily expect a deep dive on all of these, but seven master moves that people who are introverted can make in the workplace. Because, you know, like we said, we're not anti-people. It's not like we don't want to be around people if we're introverts. It's just we our batteries get recharged differently. You were talking about the uh, your son-in-law. My brother, my younger brother is a pastor. I'm a pastor. We can go to Sunday service. We can preach a couple of sermons. And then when, when it's all said and done, I need a nap. I need the whole mm -hmm. afternoon just to kind of chill. And he goes looking for people to have a book club with and let's go out to lunch and let's whatever. And then there's a Bible study in my home that night. And he just, that really just energizes him. So I have had to learn how to speak extrovert for those people in my life, but I know that's one of the seven master moves you write about. Let's, why don't we start there? Okay. Yeah. Because I think the whole idea of the master moves is there are certain things that introverts are uniquely gifted to do. And if we try and act like extroverts, so we're competing on their level, uh, we're not being ourselves. It's not mm -hmm. who God created us to be. And so we're right. robbing people of the very thing we have to make the difference. I think about like um, David and Goliath, that, when David was going to fight the giant, Saul said, here, wear my armor. But he couldn't do it. It didn't fit. He was so uncomfortable. But he had spent years protecting his sheep with his sling, right. probably at night knocking tin cans off the off the fence if they had tin cans. But mm -hmm. uh, he was an expert in that tool, that resource. And so he was able to do what he was good at in a way that only he was designed to do. He couldn't be like somebody else. And the, that's why the first master move is to become, uh, not use the extroversion or the introversion as an excuse. We're saying, well, I'm an introvert, so I can't do any of these things. It's like, no, I need to learn how to talk to extroverts, just what makes them tick. I right. don't have to become one, but I can learn what's important to them and recognize that energy and have real relationships with them. Because sometimes introverts, they're not intimidated by extroverts, but it just, they get tired if they talk to one for too long. So they don't necessarily pursue it. And so I think that's part of it. It's just, it's almost like learning a different language. Mm -hmm. But if we mm -hmm. learn each other's languages, we can communicate. Absolutely. Dr. Mike Bechtel is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. And we're talking about his new book called The Introvert's Guide to Success in the Workplace. Got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We've talked about that, uh, uh, the managing of energy and how if we are rechargeable batteries as introverts, then we do, we can be in the workplace, we can be engaged with people in church and social situations, but we have to understand that we also need rest as well. Um, one of the things you also stress in the book about uh, the the beauty of being an introvert, you know, and helping to find that uh, confidence in the culture of extroverted expectations is the fact that something introverts bring to the equation is gentle persuasion as opposed to, hey, everybody, let's go. <laughs> Talk about how we can kind of cultivate that skill and even really master it because God uses us to, you know, what, what's the scripture say? I am persuaded about the good news of the gospel. Yeah, I think that a lot of times 
introverts use their abilities, but not the way that they've been designed to. So like extroverts mm -hmm. can use talking. They think by talking. Introverts tend to think by processing. That's mm -hmm. why we can have a conversation and you walk away from it and you weren't sure of the right thing to say until about five minutes after the conversation. Right. Then you know right. exactly what you should have said. Well, you yeah. need that little bit of space. So to be able to just slow down in those types of settings. Well, that means if, if I am an introvert, one of the things I can do is, especially working with other introverts, is I'll be able to touch them and reach them and communicate with them in a way that the extroverts are really going to struggle with. Because sometimes when an introvert is approached by an extrovert. And I don't want to make the extrovert the, the bad guy. Right, right. But if an extrovert is coming to me, they're using lots of words and I'm having trouble processing all at once and deciding where to go with it. But that's why in evangelism, sometimes um, it almost feels intimidating for an introvert when someone shares their faith in such a rigid way and a, a fast paced way. Whereas introverts build relationships and they 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 can identify they can empathize it's more natural for them to just feel what the other person's feeling build relationships which builds trust and when you build trust an introvert you're going to have their ear and be able mm -hmm. to communicate with them in a whole different way boy i love that great wisdom from dr mike bechtel today here on the bottom line uh the introvert's guide to success in the workplace is the book becoming confident in a culture of extroverted expectations and i'm so glad mike you mentioned the fact that this is not a an either or it's a both and you know in terms of uh in god's economy and and that, that's something i would imagine that you probably work with a lot of people who say yeah i'm an introvert and i was able to find success in xyz corporation this that and the other thing uh, what were the tips? I mean, were there certain guidelines, you know, that they followed or did they have to be intentional about, you know, people know, hey, I'm an introvert. So this is the way it's best to utilize my skills or my relationship qualities, uh, you know, in, in the workplace as well as just personally. It's probably different for every person. And I think that's the key is not to follow a set prescribed path that says I have to be a certain way. I think right. part of it is recognizing the energy. Because mm. if I have a meeting on my schedule and I know I'm going to be in that meeting and be engaged for an hour, especially the more engaged I am, the more energy I'm using up, then somebody comes along and says, hey, when we're done with the meeting, can we talk for a few minutes? It's really important. Then I'll just respond by saying, sure, I'd love to talk. I'm going to need 30 minutes. I'll can we meet at 4.30? That'd be perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. And I usually don't even have to tell them what I'm doing. I, I don't say, well, I'm going to go take a nap for a couple minutes so I have energy <laughs> to talk to you. Yeah. But, but to be able to have that space, just to, to know that um, if I, it doesn't matter if I'm a Lamborghini and a Volkswagen, if I run out of gas, I'm not going anywhere. Amen. And, and Amen. so that's why recognizing who we are, what our strengths are, and what our strengths aren't, that's where we learn is just being able to practice and really maximize the things that God has created in us, that quiet persuasion. Because a lot of times introverts, if the world was just filled with introverts, it would be a really nice place to be, but nothing would get done. Right. If it was full of <laughs> extroverts. You'd have a lot of people trying to do things, but you'd have a lot of failure because you don't have the depth of what an introvert can bring. Mm. So I think it's as we recognize those kind of things, and then it's like, okay, if I know where my strengths are and where my skills are and where my where my gifts are like that's where i want to work because it's going to change everything mm. 
Dr. Mike Bechtel with some great words of wisdom for the difference between introverts and extroverts and how we, in our, whether it's in your church or maybe in your workplace, how you can survive in a corporate environment, or a corporate culture, uh, utilizing those skills that you might have as an introvert. The book is called The Introvert's Guide to Success in the Workplace, Becoming Confident in a Culture of Extroverted Expectations. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Dr. Mike Bechtel is my guest, and we are talking about his brand new book for those of us who are, um, well, <laughs> a little on the shy side. Uh, Dr. Bechtel's book is called The Introvert's Guide to Success in the Workplace, Becoming Confident in a Culture of Extroverted Expectations. Link for that is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one, not two, but three copies of this book that we're giving away today. Don't be introverted. Pick up the phone and call Crystal or Teresa or Joel, whoever's going to be handling that duty today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. And remember, uh, this month, we've also been promoting Dr. Michael Youssef's brand new book, How to Read the Bible Like Your Life Depends on It. And we have not one, not two, but three copies of that book we're giving away as well. Now, I said this last week. I'll say it again this week. Something interesting happens on Everyone Wednesday when our listening audience realizes that there are more going to be more than one winner. You guys are so polite. You really are. If there's one book, a lot of times we have listeners who won't call in for the book. They're like, well, I, I want someone else to get it. I, I, I don't really need to win it. Well, it's not being selfish. It's actually good self-care if you are someone you know is an introvert and you want a copy of this book. Or if your prayer life is kind of in shambles right now, or you realize that your quiet time, you haven't really been studying scripture in a passionately uh, profound way. Michael Youssef's book, How to Read the Bible Like Your Life Depends on It, not one, not two, but three copies of that book we're giving away today. And also Dr. Mike Bechtel's book, The Introvert's Guide to Success in the Workplace, Becoming Confident in a Culture of Extroverted Expectations. Six different opportunities for you to win. So let's flood the phone line, shall we? 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, uh, more of the conversation with Dr. Mike Bechtel on helping introverts succeed at church, at work, in your family, in the neighborhood. It's all coming up next as the bottom line continues. Bottom line show listeners have been so supportive of Preborn, and I appreciate you, and I know that Preborn does as well. Preborn is the Pregnancy Resource Center that offers women uh, options and offers women the truth when it comes to an unexpected or unplanned pregnancy. Now, if you were expecting pregnancy and you want to get a free ultrasound, you can go to a preborn clinic as well. It's very easy to do. And every time we donate $28 to the cause, that provides one free ultrasound appointment for someone who may or may not have the means to handle this. Now, Terry in Cathedral City recently called in a $1,000 donation. Thank you so much, Terry, for, uh, for giving us that call, especially out of the Coachella Valley. Also, Dennis in Los Angeles called in a $28 donation. Thank you, Dennis, for that $28. And also, I want to say thanks to Diane in San Diego, a $500 donation. Every $28 you provide means one more ultrasound visit for a woman who might be deciding between whether or not to keep the pregnancy or to keep the child. We are pro-child. 85% of the women who go to preborn and see the ultrasound choose life for their preborn child. And you can give a tax-deductible donation online today to support that cause. Go to kbrightradio.com and look for the preborn banner. Click the banner and make your best donation today. 
Dr. Mike Bechtel is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The Introvert's Guide to Success in the Workplace is the book, Becoming Confident in a Culture of Extroverted Expectations. Link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And of course, Mike, I realize that you've written this, you know, place guide, but this would, I would think would have application, whether you're at church or if you're in small group situations, or even just if you're in large families, you know, I mean, Easter's coming up and you're going to have a family gathering. How do I navigate this family gathering, you know, without pulling a hamstring and not being able to go? When did you discover, you know, in your educational pursuits, when did you discover that you had been called to be an introvert and it was important for introverts to be able to share with the rest of the world? We can't just let Holly Girth write all those books. I mean, somebody has to get out there and too. When when did God help you realize this is the way you were fearfully and wonderfully made? I think it well, it goes really back as far as kindergarten when my um teacher told my parents nothing would ever become of me because I was too shy. Oh. And I didn't know what that meant, but it didn't mm -hmm. sound good. And I thought right. she's an expert. And so if she <laughs> says it, it's got to be true. So I went right. on for years struggling with how do I become more outgoing and everything else. And I think it was probably in high school that I started really getting comfortable with um, recognizing that I couldn't do what other people did. And it wasn't a bad thing. I didn't need to be like them, but it's like, maybe I, if God created me the way he wanted me to be, then if I'm supposed to use that in an outgoing way, why didn't he make me noisier? Mm. And I started challenging it. That's why my very first, this is my ninth book, my first book, and all of them have kind of an introvert flavor to it. But mm -hmm. the very first one was about evangelism. And it's like, why do I have to do it the way that everybody says? And, you know, the harder it is and more intimidating. And if I'm going door to door, if I'm going to the mall, that's real evangelism. It's like, well, it feels like I was learning from uh, from eagles how to how to be a turtle and get around better. <laughs> because if like if I'm a turtle, there are certain things I can do that an eagle can't. And so it's recognizing. So I think that began the journey was seeing how it fit with evangelism and just sharing my faith in a way that actually was a gave me a huge edge in evangelism as an introvert because I didn't have to do it the way everybody said. It's like, no, God crafted me, gave me a certain platform and whatever. That's where he wanted to use me. You know, I, I marvel at what you were talking about in terms of the eagle versus the turtle, especially for those of us turtles who realize that, A, we move slow, B, we have a two-inch vertical leap, if that. Um, you know, we, there's, there's certain things we're not going to be able to do. And yet, Mike, you were sharing during the break you, that you're moved into your 70s now. This is your ninth book. I mean, God is still continuing to use you. I, I kind of, something gets me... Uh, thinking that slow and steady wins the race. I mean, in terms of not that the uh, the, the extrovert is going to crash and burn as they get older, but that the introvert really does have that kind of marathon mentality that says, I can take this all the way. And one of the things you write about is the emotional intelligence that we can develop as introverts to kind of uh, discern between the difference between saying, hey, look, I'm not that extroverted person, but I, you know, I can use the introverted skills that God has given me in those quiet places, in those, uh, you know, uh, behind the scenes, I, we, in basketball, we used to call it moving without the ball mo moments that, that really do define life and really fill in some of the gaps of some of the places where, where people are doing great and grand things. Sometimes it's the, uh, the introverts that come in and really are the grout, if you will, that holds it all together. Introverts tend to think deeper. Extroverts tend to think faster. And if I can recognize those are two really big strengths and you put those together, you got a powerful thing that's going on. Because I remember, I think one of the places 
where it first started, I used to write curriculum when I was in college. I went to a Bible college mm -hmm. in Phoenix and I was working for one of the Christian publishers back in the day when you had dated curriculum. So mm -hmm. that means every church that used that curriculum used the same lesson on the same Sunday. And mm -hmm. I wrote high school curriculum. They were in about 60,000 churches at the time. Wow. And because I was, I was going to Talbot Seminary over here in La Mirada and I had, um, uh, I think because of my background, they had once a quarter, they would do an evangelism lesson where the plan of salvation was presented. And they always asked me to do that one. So I would craft it, do the teacher's guide, student's guide. And at that time, the average attendance in a Sunday school class in America was about 10 students. Mm -hmm. And so I remember one Sunday morning waking up and I knew that was the Sunday when that lesson would be presented. And I thought, okay, so there's about 60,000 churches, 10 students each. So because of what I wrote, 600,000 high schoolers this morning are going to hear that lesson. Wow. And I thought, okay, what if one out of a thousand accepts Christ? That's about 600 people that came to Christ because of what I did in my office, mm, just putting mm -hmm. stuff together. And I realized, you know, it's it's like, yeah, but you didn't go out and do anything hard or share one-on-one. -on -one. It's like, well, but the outcome is there. And those are the kind of things that when we recognize there's so much power in being who God made you to be and using those kind of opportunities, that's the emotional intelligence is recognizing what do people really need? And everybody's different. And so building relationships, building trust and whatever comes from that. I think it's, it's so encouraging to hear that. And a lot of times there are many people who are introverted who like listening to radio. I mean, it's a one-to-one -one medium. You know, you and I are having this conversation with everybody one at a time. And so that there are so many uh, folks that really do appreciate that. But as you broke down the influence and the way God uses those mustard seeds to have those massive uh, impacts like the the Sunday school lesson that you wrote and knowing where it was going to be presented and how that was going to be replicated. I would imagine that the introvert would hear that and take really great pride in that. Whereas the extrovert might not be all that impressed with it because it has such a slow start. They want the big bang, you know, the big impact. And, and that's kind of the culture we're living in right now. I mean, we've got a couple moments left in our conversation and we're discussing with Dr. Mike Bechtel, his book called The Introvert's Guide to Success in the Workplace, Becoming Confident in a Culture of Extroverted Expectations. And there's a link up for The Bottom Line Show at thebottomlineshow.com for this book. How do we thrive as, intro as introverts at work, at church, at home, uh, knowing that the world is geared more toward extroverted expectations? And sometimes we'll look at those and say, okay, well, if that's the standard, I don't measure up. A lot of it goes into the whole idea of how we're created, where our strengths are, and the comparison that we do. It's so mm -hmm. easy when you see everything, social media, it's, I know I get pressure even from publishers saying you, you need to have a Instagram presence in you know, a platform, you know, right. Facebook, yeah, you a, a platform that everybody else has. And mm -hmm. it's very much an outgoing one. And there's something inside me that says, that's just not who I am. And then I feel bad because I'm not doing what I'm expected to do, but it's like, okay, so if I try and compete with extroverts at their game, then I'm always going to, I won't say I'll lose, but it's going to be a, an uphill battle. But if I can recognize that, if I stop comparing and then say, who am I? What are my opportunities? And just what has God crafted me to do? And what unique uh, platform, what unique opportunity does he have for me specifically? Then it becomes very much a personal journey that God guides you through. 
and nobody else is going to have the same one. But if I start copying what everybody else does, I'll probably be not nearly as effective. Like Earl Nightingale used to say, look at what everybody else is doing and then do the opposite if you want to be effective. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some, it's always stuck with me. I think there's some truth to that because of the uniqueness that we have. So the comparison is probably the biggest thing introverts have to fight. And it's so pervasive. It's out there. It's loud, just like you said. So it's almost like kind of turning things down a little bit. So we don't hear them, watch them. Don't We're not as involved in having the constant comparison right in front of us. We have yeah. to pull back from that. Yeah. When, when we play the comparison game, it never works out well. And you quoted Earl Nightingale. I'll quote Earl Weaver to describe this generation. He said, my favorite playing baseball is a three-run homer, right? Because you know that, that changes the whole face of the game with one swing. But when we're looking for that type of thing and we're not wired for that type of activity, then we have to take a step back and say, well, okay, I'm a singles hitter, not a home run hitter, to use the yeah. baseball analogy. And and I, I, I'm grateful, uh, Mike, that you've written this book. To help us not only in the workplace, because I know a lot of bottom line show listeners are still working. One of our most common segments of the audience is people who call in on their way home from work and say, I'm just decompressing at the end of the day. So thank you for that. Would you take the last 60 seconds of our time together? Give that encouragement to the introvert who says, wow, this is kind of blowing my mind because I never really thought about it this way. But you're giving me a language for some of the feelings that I had. Now what? Now what? I guess is the, the next question for you. I think the biggest thing is the recognition. It's a different mindset. And to realize if I have been thinking this way for so long, especially when I speak in churches and people, uh, especially if I talk about evangelism, I'll have people that are in their 80s that will come up and say, I have never heard this freedom before. Mm. And they want to do something with it. But mm -hmm. it's like, I I just gave up on evangelism, they'll say, or on doing some of these things because, well, I tried and I can't do it the way you're supposed to do it. Mm -hmm. So to recognize that there's a whole uh th there's a whole platform a whole energy there's something out there that's designed to where you can actually and i'm going to use it the term carefully but not you can change the world <laughs> and i think we have the ability to do that i mean you know from your own experience you've been doing this for a long time and you've made a dent in a lot of people and a lot of things going on because you've been consistent You've had your your two inch leap and and uh, <laughs> made the difference there. So I think that's recognizing that we're not um, we're not second string players. Right. That we're first string players in a unique way. We play different positions, and I went. I don't necessarily need to be the quarterback, but I can sure support him. So. Amen. Amen to that. Well, Dr. Mike Bechtel. Appreciate your time. I appreciate the book, too. And congratulations on your ninth release. It's called The Introvert's Guide to Success in the Workplace, Becoming Confident in a Culture of Extroverted Expectations. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Mike Bechtel, thank you for being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Thank you. Such a privilege. What a great conversation. And from one introvert to another, Mike Bechtel, thank you for being with us today. The Introvert's Guide to Success in the Workplace, Becoming Confident in a Culture of Extroverted Expectations is the book. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. And since this is Everyone Wednesday, we have not one, not two, but three copies of this book we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Of course, because it's Everyone Wednesday, in addition to these three books, and if, this is for anybody who's just introverted. If the being out around people is not your thing, 
introversion is the way to go for you. This is a great book. But this is success in the workplace, at home, um, in your church, wherever you, in your neighborhood. This is, these are great principles. 800-227-5278. Keep in mind, though, um, all this month we've been featuring Dr. Michael Youssef's book, uh, How to Read the Bible as if Your Life Depends on It. And we do have three more copies of that to give away as well. So lots of things for you to win. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Are you hungry right now? Have you thought about what you're going to do for dinner today? Or maybe it's going to be a late lunch. I mean, since here we are in California, it's only quarter to four, uh, you know, fairly decent weather. Um, chances are, if you are in the mood for a burger, In-N-Out Burger might be on the docket for you. But what if, maybe, just maybe, uh, the In-N-Out Burger to you was closed? Now, I don't know of too many In-N-Out Burgers that have ever closed. Um, <laughs> they always seem to be opening, right? Chick-fil-A likes to take over like Burger Kings and Taco Bells to close, but In-N-Out Burger has had a much better track record. So... When you think about an In-N-Out Burger opening up, it's like everybody gets all excited. There's a line around the block, whether they're Texas, Colorado. I mean, they're, they're so popular now, even in states beyond California. In-N-Out has this national reputation. They only do business in six states. But seldom, if ever, do you see an In-N-Out Burger closing. Well, there is an In-N-Out Burger that is closing, and it's in the bottom line show listening area. Any idea where it might be? I mean, think about it. Where in California or Colorado, they're, they're, they're not going to close Colorado. They're just opening up, just spreading out in that state. Where in California would an In-N-Out Burger close and why? Would it be because the prices are too high because they have a hard time finding workers? No. Actually, when you find out where this In-N-Out Burger is, You'll have all your questions answered, and you can thank Governor Gavin Newsom for being responsible for the closure of an In-N-Out Burger. We'll talk about where that is and why coming up next as the bottom line continues. Call personal injury attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law first after an accident. Friends or family might tell you to get in touch with the insurance company for the party at fault first, but this is wrong. Stephanie knows countless myths that surround personal injury law, and she will help you separate fact from fiction. Stephanie worked directly for insurance companies for decades, and she knows how to navigate the process. You may wonder if your injury is too minor to warrant an attorney representing you. Stephanie can help you figure that part out with a free call, and she will tell you honestly if she thinks it's worth pursuing. Sometimes injured people are concerned about going to trial, but Stephanie prides herself on her ability to stay out of a courtroom because it typically means that she can maximize the amount you will actually receive. Don't make these decisions on your own. Contact Stephanie Cover at kbrightradio.com slash cover. That's C-O-V-E-R. My thanks again to Dr. Mike Bechtel for joining me today here on the program for a fun conversation about introverts and being an introverted person in the church and why God would make some people wildly extroverted. I think of my kids. I have a daughter, Emily, who is a major introvert daughter Kaylee who almost went nuts during the pandemic because she's extroverted and wanted to be around people not quite sure where Jake is Taylor other daughter extroverted Kevin yeah Kevin's Kevin uh, and Ryan's Ryan Uh, but I'm an introvert and Lisa's an introvert too it's part of the reason why we get along so well we love this book the book is called the introverts guide to success of the workplace becoming confident in a culture of extroverted expectations 
Not one, not two, but three copies of the book we're giving away today at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Crystal is waiting for your call. And if that book doesn't suit your fancy, we'll let you order off the menu today. Uh, we have three copies of my, Dr. Michael Youssef's book called... Uh, how to read the Bible as if your life depends on it. Not one, not two, but three copies of that one too. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. Six different books for you to choose from. Such a deal. Now, when In-N-Out Burger first opened up in 1948, they had, what, three items on the menu. There was a hamburger, French fries, it was about it. Then eventually a cheeseburger. And then the infamous double-double that came into existence. Why? Because people, I, I mentioned you get to order off the menu today here on uh, Everyone Wednesday for the book either by Dr. Mike Beckel or Dr. Michael Youssef. But people have been ordering off the menu at In-N-Out Burger for years. You want to get a double-double and you want grilled onions. Grilled onions isn't on the menu, but if you ask for it, you'll get it. If you ask for a double-double with uh, uh, protein style, they know that means wrap it up in lettuce and don't give you a bun. If you order chili cheese fries, that's not on the menu either, but they will do it. They'll put the spread and some cheese and chilies and you're good to go. Uh, quite frankly, I'm fond of the animal style. You could do that with any of the burgers, the hamburger, cheeseburger, or double-double. And that's with grilled onions and mustard and pickles or something like that. So anyway, In-N-Out has that reputation. And it's just word of mouth that when a new In-N-Out burger opens up, they are always so very, very successful. But In-N-Out Burger has a very interesting track record. They have never, in their 75-year history, ever closed a location. Isn't that interesting? There have been In-N-Out Burgers that have shown up in areas where they've taken over, kind of the facility where, I mean, it's hard to take a McDonald's and make it into an In-N-Out Burger. I mean, In-N-Out has a very unique design, unique kitchen setup, etc. But the Associated Press has announced that In-N-Out Burger will, for the first time ever, close an In-N-Out Burger. Why, you may ask. I mean, In-N-Out has just been a license to print money ever since they opened. Now, of course, the Snyder family, Lindsay Snyder inherited the company from her dad, Matthew, whose parents started it back in 1948 here in California, Harry and Estelle, and uh, Esther, rather. And once uh, uh, Rich, rather, uh, really got serious about his faith, they started to uh, use scripture verses on the inner ring of their uh, cups and on the packaging for fries. Uh, everyone knows that John 3.16 shows up on the drink cups and uh, Proverbs 3.5 shows up on the milkshake cups, and which have gotten much smaller, by the way, during the pandemic. But In-N-Out Burger's closing a restaurant. I asked you before the break if you could guess where it is. It is here in the People's Republic of California. That narrows it down. It's within bottom line show listing. As a matter of fact, if you are in this town right now, please call us and we'll give you, um, well, we'll give you a prize, <laughs> just a consolation prize. Denny Warnick is the chief operating officer of In-N-Out Burger who issued a statement through the Associated Press that said, we, for the first time in our 75-year history, have made a decision to close an In-N-Out Burger location. Despite taking repeated steps to create safer conditions, our customers and associates are regularly victimized by car break-ins, property damage, theft, and armed robberies in this location. And so the In-N-Out Burger in Oakland 
on Oakport Street, right near the airport, apparently, will be closed. Unbelievable that that's going to happen. But yes, it is, in fact, going to happen. The store is a busy store, is a profitable store for the company. But first and foremost, job number one is creating a, uh, a priority of safety. And therefore, they're closing a store. Isn't that credible? Think about the fact that here's In-N-Out Burger saying, we're not closing the store because we're losing money. In-N-Out Burger restaurants do not lose money. But they're losing customers and they're losing safety and security. And the reason they are losing it is because of crime. Now, why do you think this is happening? I'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. A little gobsmacked right now. In-N-Out Burger is closing a location. And what makes this special and significant is they've never closed a restaurant before. 75 years in business, it's always been on the up and up. And if if you're a fan of In-N-Out Burger, you know the company does have a penchant for picking strange pieces of real estate. You know, they don't go for the corner lot, the high traffic area. They go for places. Some of their stores are drive-through. Some of them are not. Um, but then they pick areas that, well, like, for example, in Laguna Hills, the uh, In-N-Out Burger in Laguna Hills Mall. Well, it's going to be something else now. There are a couple of restaurants. There used to be a Coco's and a Rubens. Remember when they used to do that side by side? And then the Rubens became a King's Fish House and the Coco's got knocked over and became an In-N-Out Burger. It's on the corner of uh, uh, El Toro Road and whatever that is, uh, uh, Paseo de Valencia or something like that, or Carlotta. I always get those two mixed up. And you can see it on the corner, but you have to drive in, go inside, and walk around. Well, they do that because that makes good business sense. They usually get a really good deal on the land where they put their stuff on. So In-N-Out Burger does go very strategically. And the reason they're only in six states is because they deliver, they don't have freezers. Everything is delivered fresh. And so they have these processing centers where they get all the meat and produce together. And then they want to make sure it's an easy truck ride to the stores. So that's why I remember it was a big, a big ordeal to move into Texas and move to Colorado and whatever, but they do it. But In-N-Out Burger in their 75 year history has never closed a location before. But a statement that just came out last week from uh, In-N-Out's Chief Operating Officer, Denny Warnick, said, we have made the decision to close the In-N-Out Burger location in Oakland, California. It's the one on Oakport Street. And the reason they're doing it, it's near Oakland International Airport. It's going to close next month. Not because the store isn't profitable. As a matter of fact, Mr. Warnick said, this is a busy and profitable location for our company. But our top priority has to be the safety and well-being of our customers and also our associates. We can't ask them to visit or to work in an unsafe environment. And so they're closing. Now, the employees who are affected by the closure have been offered a chance to transfer to another In-N-Out location, or they're going to get a severance package. There are In-N-Out burgers, for, by the way, for our KCBC audience members. Uh, if you're in that listing range, there's still the In-N-Out in Alameda and San Ramon and other cities in East Bay. And... Um, in and outs going to continue to do their charity work in Oakland. They're just not going to run a store. Now, when you go to the polls for not only um, the, the primaries, but also the general election, bear in mind the fact that In-N-Out Burger, one of the most successful, one of the best known, 
In-N-Out is so well-liked in America. They only operate in six states, and they routinely place in the top five in nationwide contests about where's your favorite burger joint. There are 44 other states in the District of Columbia that have never seen an In-N-Out burger. How do they keep showing up in the top five? Reputation. Reputation. And remember what John Wooden used to say, character is more important than reputation because reputation is who people think you are, character is who you really are. This says a lot about the character of In-N-Out Burger that they're saying, look, we're concerned about our patrons. We're concerned for their safety. We still operate under biblical principles and this is what we're doing, but we can't keep operating like this anymore. Remember when it's time to vote for the mayor of Oakland, the city council of Oakland, the governor of California. If a company like In-N-Out Burger can't do business here at Oakland Airport, there's a problem. And we can be either, you know, my job is to sound the clarion call. Hey, we got a problem. We need to do something about it. But we also need to take action prayerfully and thoughtfully and biblically to do what we can to stand up to crime in different areas and ease this problem of homelessness and, you know, work to you know withstand the challenges of that uh, people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol face as well. There are solutions, but they start with prayer and then taking action because faith without deeds is dead. We've got a link for this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. We've still got a couple moments left for you to call in on our Everyone Wednesday giveaways today. Dr. Mike Bechtel's book on the introvert's guide to success and also Dr. Michael Youssef's book, How to Pray or How to Read the Bible Like Your Life Depends on It, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, Rabbi Schneider is coming up next for you in Discovering the Jewish Jesus, but what you're about to hear on the network will be coming your way on the Bottom Line Show Extra tonight at 7 o'clock. For those who remain on the network, can a Christian support the defund the police movement, especially when corrupt politicians are actually uh, eschewing federal election commission laws and basically breaking the law to tell people we shouldn't have police anymore? We're going to do an analysis, balance, and clarity segment on that very issue coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, welcome to another Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show, or welcome back to uh, this, welcome back uh, Wednesday, <laughs> Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Mike Bechtel's book is up for grabs. We also have copies of Dr. Michael Youssef's book, How to Read the Bible Like Your Life Depends on It. Boy, with the way the world is going these days, um, it's that's a resource that is so helpful. And we do have three copies of that to give away in addition to three copies of Mike Bechtel's book, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Going to do an analysis, balance, and clarity segment here as we wrap up this edition of the Bottom Line Show that I think is very important. It's helpful because this is the kind of uh, topic of conversation that I believe we in the body of Christ need to be able to have with people who would disagree with us. And I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm very, very concerned about what I'm seeing in the culture not from the culture. The culture's gonna do what the culture's gonna do, okay? The culture is going to be secularized, it's going to be pro uh, big government intrusion, uh, whatever the taste of the month is, et cetera, et cetera. I, the government is going to be the government. I'm not concerned with that. And I understand that as Christians, we're not perfect. We are being sanctified. Uh, thanks to those of us who have received salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the sanctification pro 
process is what's working out our, you know, literally with fear and trembling, our salvation. What was, uh, you know, done for us in salvation, Jesus on the cross, is now uh, being sanctified and, you know, kind of uh, codified and sealed on our hearts. And it's changing our behavior and it changes the way we interact with people. Biggest concern I have, I even really don't mind when people in the body of Christ will look at other people who profess faith in Christ and will lovingly rebuke them when they're wrong. I mean, that's, that's a part and parcel of who we are. If your brother sins, you know, gently, lovingly come alongside and say, hey, you know, I've got to refute this. I mean, I, I love you in the Lord, but what you're doing is wrong. And a gentle rebuke, I mean, my goodness, is, is, it's, it's so gracious, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, the scourges of a friend, someone who would pull you aside and say, you know what, here's the deal. You know, what you did was wrong or you are wrong. And this is something that you have to, um, that you have to, uh, you know, go ahead and, uh, uh, and own up to. I mean, that's the whole essence of who we are as Christians, right? We are sinful people. We live in a sinful fallen world. We can't free ourselves from that sin. God so loved the world. His entire creation, the the whole creation has been sullied by sin. And God 2000 years ago said, I will send my son, who is my begotten son, who is the exact replica of me. When you see him, you see the father. That son will be the perfect sinless atonement for all of the sin in the world, all the corruption that's happening. And I will begin the restoration process of restoring all things unto myself, God says. And so as that process is going along, we then who have been forgiven of our sins are just overwhelmed with gratitude. We see that God is a just God. There has to be some kind of payment for the sin, but he's also a merciful God. We don't have to pay the penalty. Part of the reason is because we can't. There's no way any one of us could pay the penalty for our own sin. But secondly, because God is rich in mercy, he takes mercy upon us and offers us forgiveness. And so then we, as his forgiven children who have been shown that mercy, are then called to forgive others. We forgive others their sin as God has forgiven us our sin. And that's one of the hallmarks of a Christian. So big, long preamble, because what I see in the culture that really bugs me, that really frustrates me, that really concerns me, is the Christian who will take it upon himself or herself to rebuke a fellow believer, but do so in a very non-merciful way, will do so in a very judgmental way. There's a whole new pack of that showing up, anywhere from people who say, Christian nationalism is wrong and MAGA Christians, okay, well, I'll be honest with you. If we, in our love for America, wind up giving people the impression that we love America more than we love the Lord, if we give people the impression that the only true Christians are American patriots, we're completely missing the boat on that one. Because there are Christians all over the world from all different countries, people who come out of Islam and Hindu and Buddhism and I mean, all people who, agnosticism, atheism. I mean, there's a reason why the Christian influence has gotten so muddied. And I think part of it is because a lot of people claimed it falsely. And now they've become easy marks. Well, look at those big churches with the flying angels on Christmas and 45, th- Joel Osteen just paid off $100 million in debt. What church needs a, a facility that big? And, you know, there looks to be a lot of hypocrisy. And I get it. I can see why the world looks at the church and says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. We need to look at ourselves and ask the question, are we? I don't think we always are, 
I'm sure there are some cases where we are, but what really concerns me are the people who profess faith in Christ, who look at what they're looking for, these so-called modern-day Pharisees, who then go after them with venom, with snark and sarcasm. And I mean, well, yeah, well, Jesus was sarcastic, but the Pharisees, yeah, but he's Jesus, we're not. He didn't need to be forgiven of sin. He was the forgiver. So if he was looking at guys in the Old Testament, he comes in as, for all intents and purposes in the world, he's the rabbi to end all rabbis. And he's looking at other rabbis and priests and scribes and saying, you guys are missing the mark because you've been telling everybody to get ready for the Messiah. And hello, I'm the Messiah. You can't even see me. So all of your ritual doesn't mean anything because you can't see me. But I don't see anywhere where you see the disciples going in there and saying, we're going to attack the Pharisees. Wait, 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 wait. There were some squabbles among, you know, Peter and Paul had their issues and Paul and Silas had their, Mark, there are places where the, 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 the faithful actually would butt heads. But in the body of Christ, we have to be able to say, look, I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God's justice called for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, but his mercy allows me to claim the death of Christ as if it were my own paying the penalty for my sin. And then we move apart, move along as, uh, as forgiven, humble, merciful people. So I say all of that in a big preamble to say what, what you're about to hear in this next story could sound potentially like me going after somebody and saying, hey, you know, what's wrong with you? But, but I want to make perfectly clear that what we're going to what we're going to discuss here is a case that has been going on in the culture for a while, and it's gotten a lot of Christians, I think, twisted up in knots for the wrong reasons. And that is the defund the police movement. This became a huge battle cry. You remember four years ago, can't, it's hard to believe it was May of 2020, when George Floyd died in police custody. To watch that video, you know, people say, oh, wait a minute, how did he really die? Didn't he have drugs in the system? Well, it wasn't that bad to have Derek Chauvin had his knee on his neck for nine minutes. They'll, they'll look for that little jot tittle particular thing that says, I don't have to look at the whole thing. Here's what we saw. We saw a grown man who may or may not have been high, who was trying at one point to make his life better, but had made some horrible decisions. He was in police custody. He was afraid. He was crying out for his mother. And then he died in police custody. That's what we saw. And he kind of became a rallying cry for people who support the Black Lives Matter movement. And then Black Lives Matter turned out to be one of those fraud Trojan horses where their leaders were taking all sorts of money and buying big mansions in Brentwood and Bel Air and hiring all their relatives. And, and that was crazy. Then there was the issue of defunding the police. Well, and here was the logic that a lot of leftists use. Police violence is on the rise. We have four different cases uh, from the, the, during that year of 2020 that were you know, monumental in terms of police uh, alleged using, allegedly using too much force, black people dying and police need to be defunded because that's the only way you know, that we're gonna solve this problem. Well then, you know, your logical brain says, well, if you're gonna defund the police, then you won't have any police departments and lawlessness will be the rule of the day. And the left to say, well, no, we're gonna come out with community patrol squads and you know, people will vo volunteer and they'll, they'll, they'll reach in for their, the, the better angels of their nature and they won't have a problem. Well, you and I both know people are sinful by nature, so that's not going to happen. That whole 1970s thing, we're going to put a daisy in the you know National Guard guy's gun barrel. No, it's, a, it's not going to happen. 
Want to do an analysis, balance, and clarity story on the other side of this break that's going to help us, I think, understand how we as Christians can look at some of the things of the culture and not fall victim to the whataboutism and the us versus themism that oftentimes seasons our conversations. A member of the uh, House of Representatives is being investigated right now for an alleged misuse of government funds that was paying for her security detail. And what makes this case so insidious is the fact that this was one of the women, women, one of the members of Congress, who was at the forefront of the defund the police movement. So is this some measure of hypocrisy on her part? Or how do we better understand what that argument's all about? I'm gonna talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives. This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine. And at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friends. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're doing an analysis, balance, and clarity segment. Analysis to see what the story is. Balance to get uh, insight from all different angles. Clarity then to narrow down, okay, what are we really talking about, which then leads to discernment. How do we approach this topic? Most of these topics are not uh, monothematic. They, there's more than one uh, story at hand. And then how can we be edified so that we can actually be fruitful in the culture? The defund the police movement was a big hue and cry back about four years ago after the deaths of George Floyd, Ahmed Aubrey, uh, the shooting of Jake, Jacob Blake, um, Breonna Taylor, that was the name I couldn't remember, the, the woman in Kentucky. Uh, it turned out, you know, what we heard was police opened fire on her after she had moved back to her town in Kentucky to live with her grandmother, and she got hit with a spray, stray bullet and she died. What they didn't tell you in the media was that her boyfriend was a drug dealer, that her ex-boyfriend had been a drug dealer. The warrant that they brought to the house was to search the house for him, and when he opened fire, they returned fire. But no, that don't confuse progressives with the actual facts. I mean, it's a tragedy this woman died, but then Black Lives Matter started fundraising off of her her memory, and then her own family was like, uh, BLM, we've never met you. Why do you keep putting up pictures of her saying, give to Black Lives Matter when we don't know who you are and we're not working with you? Please stop. The defund the police movement gave a lot of Americans the thought that they were saying, we're not going to have any more cops. It's just going to be anarchy. You know, it's going to be escape from New York all over the place here. Uh, and, and in some cities, it actually kind of has been that way. But there's a lot we don't understand about the defund the police movement. But there's one story that if we don't get this right, we could wind up falling into the, well, see, there they go again. So let, let's, let's exercise a little cognitive dissonance if we can. We can hold two seemingly conflictive arg- conflicted arguments together at the same time and believe that both are true and have validity. When an agency like the police is threatened with defunding, the only reason you would say let's defund the police is because the existing 
police department that we have has been corrupted somehow. This happened in New Jersey. I don't remember the city. It was a smallish town. They had so much corruption in their police department, they, they voted to defund the police. Now, defunding the police didn't mean they got rid of police officers. What they did was they defunded, they canceled the contract they had with the police union. They basically shut the entire department down and then replaced it with a new and better department. No union this time. Every officer negotiated straight with the city. When they negotiated straight with the cities, funny thing happened. They were able to hire better cops and they were able to hire more of them. There was less incentive for a police officer to say, I'm not saying unions are all bad, but the police union there had worked a sweet deal where the guys were getting paid a lot and they didn't have, you know, they had a major crime problem because the police were just like, I'm not going to go risk my life. I mean, I got a good pension. You know, I'm going to retire at 50 and we'll bleed the city. The city basically dumped their old police department, but they replaced it with a new better one that worked without a union and directly for the city. They hired more officers. Crime went down by 75%. The budgets were balanced. Everybody was happy. In that case, defunding the police made sense because the defund said, we're going to defund the way we're doing it now and replace it with something better. Now, in Minneapolis, when they tried this, we're going to defund, defund, defund. Crime was already horrific in Minneapolis. That George Floyd incident was was kind of pale in comparison to the evidences of a lot of crime. I mean, obviously, you know, person dies, it's horrible. They tried defunding the police, and you know what happened? Crime got exponentially worse. Then they had to go back and beg the federal government for more money. Why? Because they needed to hire more police. So if you just say, we're just going to pull the funding and reduce the number of cops on the beat, that isn't a solution either. But then there's the whole issue of if you get behind the rallying cry of defund, 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 defund. It kind of makes it sound like you're one of those people who says, I want to defund the police because I don't like the police. I don't think we should have the police. And to which you would ask that age-old question. And unfortunately, it was the late Robbie Zacharias, whose legacy has been so tarnished, but his teaching was so good. When they would talk about defunding the police, the first thing he would always ask a person is, do you lock your doors at night? And you and I know what the answer to that question is. Of course we do. Who wouldn't? Lock your doors, lock your windows, you protect your car, you put an alarm on the car. You want to do what you can to make sure no one steals your possessions or breaks into your home. Why is it that so many politicians who run around doing the defund the police, the police is corrupt, the police is terrible, often turn out to be somewhat hypocritical? If you say defund the police and you don't have a plan to replace the police force, then basically what you're saying is I don't want any police around. I think we're okay, which brings us then to the question of Congresswoman Cori Bush of Missouri. Perhaps you've heard about this. Cori Bush is part of the squad of the new, young, brash women of color, different ethnic backgrounds, AOC, etc., who came into Congress a couple of terms ago. And she has been a very outspoken advocate, a cheerleader, if you will, for defunding the police. Fox News has uncovered that the Justice Department is currently investigating Representative Bush, and the reason they are doing so is for misuse of government funds. What misuse of government funds, you ask? Well, let me tell you. Evidently, Cori Bush took campaign donations and government funding for her office and used it inappropriately. How did she use it inappropriately? She used it to pay for personal private security. 
Now, the members of Congress, members of the Supreme Court, the president, the vice president, their families, et cetera, et cetera, have Secret Service protection. You remember the uh, issue that happened in San Francisco when Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, was attacked by someone we are told was an intruder that he didn't know. who may or may not have been someone that the family did, in fact, know. But nonetheless, um, and the question was, Nancy Pelosi had a Secret Service detail. Why wasn't the Secret Service keeping an eye on the Pelosi mansion in San Francisco? I think that's a fair question. Well, a subpoena Pina has actually been issued. It was read on the floor of the House of Representatives this past Monday. And ostensibly, there's a question of federal security money being spent improperly. Either you have security that you hire with money that the federal government has, or they provide Secret Service detail for you. Now, in this case, Cori Bush allegedly, well, here's what the, the, here's what the subpoena said. A House clerk on Monday read this speech aloud in the House floor uh, so that Speaker of the House Mike Johnson, Sergeant of Arms William McFarlane uh, could relay the, uh, the, to the office that they received a grand jury subpoena for documents issued by the Justice Department and added that the Sergeant of Arms office would comply with the subpoena. Now, the message did not go into any further detail, but we found this particular here. There, <laughs> Corey Bush, there was speculation that possibly... Uh, the, the probe for the Justice Department has something to do with January 6th. But it turned out that that's not, in fact, the case. Um, Corey Bush is married to a guy called Courtney Merritts. They have been married since February of 2023. He is a former security guard. As a matter of fact, he was a former security guard for Corey Bush. In her campaign's payroll when she ran for office in 2022, some funds actually went into her payroll account. You know that you can raise money for a congressional race or a Senate race, and then there's matching funds depending on what your party's doing, et cetera, et cetera. Apparently, she um, had been taking some of that money, marking it as, quote, unquote, security payments, and then handing that money off to her now husband. This happened in 2022. They were married in February of 2023. This past April, the security portion was gone, and then they were added to a different designation called wage expenses. Now, this isn't the first time the Congresswoman has been in hot water with the Federal Election Commission. In March of 2023, she was hit with a couple of complaints over security payments that she made. And the reason why is because she made them to her husband. In 2022, she paid Courtney Merritt uh, $60,000 to provide security for her. That's very interesting that he does because uh, you would think, well, anybody could do that. You know, a guy's got a business. What do you do? Well, I pay my kid to be my security guy. How old's your kid? Six. You know, I mean, that, that's, that's in a private business. But apparently, Cori Bush and Courtney Merritts have been dating since before she entered Congress in 2021. And in 2022, her campaign paid $225,000 to a St. Louis-based group called Peace Security Firm for personal protection and another $60,000 to Courtney Merritt also for security. Now, the FEC is very, very particular about who you hire as your security company. As a matter of fact, you have to be registered, you have to be licensed, and you have to be bonded. Evidently, 
Courtney Merritt does not have a license to perform security functions in the Congresswoman's district. So now they're bringing this to the light and saying, we got a problem. So what does it mean? You've got an elected official who has spent a whole lot of time saying, defund the police, defund the police, defund the police. Oh, by the way, I'm a hypocrite because not only do I believe in security, I'm breaking campaign Federal Election Commission rules to hire my boyfriend, then fiance, then husband to provide quote unquote security for me. How do we as Christians respond to something like this? Well, I'll tell you about it coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the things I appreciate, and I know you do too, about preborn is the fact that they tell you the truth about where you are in pregnancy. You know, it, 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 it's amazing how the National Institute of Health and the CDC wants to classify pregnancy as a quote-unquote illness, so then they can prescribe quote-unquote treatment medication in the form of an abortion pill to end the abortion. Well, that's crazy. We know, you know and I know, that God creates each of us in the womb of our mothers, and he creates each of us uniquely for a purpose. And 85% of the women who go to preborn clinics and they don't hear the, the propaganda from the abortion industry that says you, your two choices are either abortion or misery, that there are three options. And the third one involves basically choosing life for the child and releasing that child for adoption. I want to thank a couple of people for their very generous donations to preborn. Dean in National City made a $1,400 donation. Dave in Lake Forest, a $500 donation. Uh, and also... Edward in Norfolk, Nebraska, who listens online with a 48 monthly dollar donation. Uh, go to kbrightradio.com, click on the preborn banner, and make your best donation today. It's completely tax deductible. 100% of your donation goes to ultrasound technology, and we're saving lives and saving babies through preborn. Click on kbrightradio.com, hit the preborn banner today. Welcome back to this analysis, balance, and clarity segment of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. The cry for defunding the police has been sounded loud and clear by U.S. Congresswoman Cori Bush of Missouri. But now, all of a sudden, the Federal Elections Commission and the Justice Department are doing an investigation into her campaign for 2021 and then again for 2023 for re-election. She has spent more than a half million dollars on her own private security while she travels the country telling everyone they should defund the police. She also spent $220,000 on a St. Louis-based firm. She's from Missouri. And over $100,000 to her now husband for providing, quote-unquote, security payments. And when the FEC started breathing down her neck on that, they became wage expenses. When you and I donate money to a campaign, it's supposed to go for campaign expenses, not paying off the congressman or congresswoman's kids or whatever. So does this make Cory Bush a hypocrite? Does this tarnish the defund the police movement? Well, first and foremost, it makes her a hypocrite for her to say we don't need police and we should defund the police because obviously she's saying that from the position of someone. It's kind of like the, uh, you know, let's, let's take all the guns flanked by her armed security company. That doesn't bode well with people. But on the other hand, defund the police is an empty rallying cry if you do not have something to back it up. If you do not have a plan of attack, if a police department has gotten so far bad, so far behind the times, so far ineffective, like it was in Minneapolis, that defunding the police might not be a bad idea, but their solution didn't work. In New Jersey, one of the cities there defunded the police and did it perfectly. 
got rid of the old police union, basically told all the officers, here's the deal. We're busting up the union, so effectively you're out of a job, but you're all invited to reapply for your jobs. Here's the wage you're going to make. Well, they didn't have to make $100,000 and pay $20,000 a year in union dues, for example. They could make $75,000 and get some overtime. They started attracting and keeping better cops. They were able to hire more police and crime went down in their city. So defund the police can't actually be a good thing. But if you make it a political football and there's no solution to it, see, this is the key. Empty rhetoric, nothing. But what does James tell us? Faith without deeds, faith without works is what? Dead. We as Christians need to be people of action. Let your light so shine before others, Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, that they would see your good works and then glorify who? Glorify your Father in heaven who's doing those works through you and through me. May this be the year that we spend less time complaining and more time completing. May this be the year that we spend less time bellyaching and more time doing. Actually brainstorming. What are some solutions? Jesus came and God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Why? Because Jesus ran around and said, God is love. God loves you. The love of God is with you. No, Jesus came to show the love of God by sacrificing himself. Why? To pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin. He did something about it. And then in the end, when he's on the cross and he says, it is finished, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, that's when the whole reset began. Jesus reconciled to God so that we might be reconciled to our heavenly Father, and God's redemptive plan was put into motion over 2,000 years ago, and all of nature and all of creation and everything that God wants to redeem is being redeemed, and you and I are part of that plan. So let's show the world our redemption is real in us by bringing solutions to problems like law enforcement, immigration, racism, and the like. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.